0: A series four weeks ago. Now we're in the fourth week of a series that we're calling "This Is What It Looks Like," and and I started with this with a simple question, and and that simple question is, how is it that we know anything at all about the story of Jesus? How is it that really, when you really, I mean, how many people from two thousand years ago do you know anything about their birth? A few of you, you know, know know-it-alls that are trivial pursuit experts. You might know something about somebody about 2,000 years ago, or or perhaps we might know a little bit more about how somebody died 2,000 years ago. But when you really, really get right down to it, how many of us really know any individual uh, about a person, their birth, their life, what they did, who they interacted with? How is it that we know so much about Jesus, a simple carpenter? How did that story... Survive, And not only that, but it's thriving. Billions of people have now said they're followers of Christ. They believe in this. And when you really, really get right down to it, when you ask yourself the question, how is it, first of all, that that story has survived? When you really think about who was telling the story and who it was entrusted to at the very beginning, it led to the second question, how did an uneducated, ill-equipped group of people, people that by standards of that day others looked at them and said they're ignorant foolish fishermen actually they're idiots is really what the greek word meant. the word you know they they're just ordinary the greek word idiotus or idiotus it simply simply means they were they were considered idiots fools stupid people how is it that they were entrusted with a story that has endured to today and 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 in those two questions how how do we know anything about Jesus? How did the people who told us the story, they weren't equipped to do it, they weren't, they weren't necessarily trained to do it, and yet somehow that story survived, not just the first century, but it survives and thrives until today. And so when we began to talk about that, and, and this morning I, I'm kind of sort of summarizing two different series in a sense, and I'm, I'm going, to take a sw- going to take a swing at answering the question, <clears throat> how is it that we know so much, how did this group of people caused this to happen, but, uh, f- and I, you know, because I live these series and study it and do it, it's so uh, alive and fresh in me, and I can sort of see dots connecting, and, and, and I want to sort of try to do that for you this morning, because uh, the series that we did before this series, we called Circles and Rows, Circles and Rows, and, 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 and we were looking at Acts chapter one, where God said, you know, I, I want you to, uh, uh, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, as we preach the gospel, then, you know, take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm giving you a mission, a a commission to go into all the world with this message. This message that Jesus was sent from God He was God's son. He is the Messiah. He was the sacrificial lamb. He is the the, the one that takes away the sin of the world. He died on a cross. His blood was shed. But the good news is he is alive. And you're witnesses of that. And I want you to take this everywhere that you go. I want you to go to all the world with this message. Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit is poured out. Miraculous things begin to happen. They're in a prayer meeting in the upper room. Power of God falls. They begin to preach. 3,000 people get Yet saved. And in Acts chapter two and verse forty two, it said all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And from that, there's a statement that we've been given, that I've been giving you, that the early church had both rows and circles, circles are face to face and there are things that will be that that will happen in circles that can never happen in a row we have been entrusted with what the bible calls jesus called one another the apostle paul talked about one another that we're to love one another pray for one another encourage one another uh, forgive one another we're to as the opportunity as we have the opportunity we're to bless one another And the one another's happen in circles. When we're in rows, when we're shoulder to shoulder, I don't know what another might need. Because we're shoulder to shoulder. But when we're face to face, we can see some things and we can know some things. But that doesn't mean that the shoulder to shoulder, that the rows aren't important. The rows are very important because that's where the power comes from. That's where that unified, mighty army of God begins to flow. And so rows and circles, circles and rows are very, very important for the church and for you and for me. I need to have circles in my life and I also need to be a part of a row. Because those become very, very important. And so... As we talked about circles and rows and moved into, this is what it looks like for me. This is what it looked like in Acts chapters one, two, three, four, five, all through the book of Acts. This is what it looked like looks like when the circles and rows were mobilized behind a mission when the circles and rows worked together to cause something miraculous and powerful and life-changing to happen in the first century that still carries forward till today in the 21st century. And you and I have been entrusted with that message, amen? So so that's what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be. And and, and also in this, this is what it looks like. I also want us as a church, this is what it looks like, Joy Christian Center, when we mobilize circles and rows. This is what it looks like. We showed you a couple of weeks ago what it looks like as a church, and we we do this thing. For those of you that are guests this morning, we do something that we call Joy to the World, and Joy to the World is a -a one-time-a-year offering. We've been doing it the last few years. We ask everybody to be involved. Every single person that calls Joy their home church, we ask you to be involved for how much? $49.95, Forty nine ninety five exactly, and like I like to say, we've not had any price cre- increases over the last couple of years. We ask everybody to get involved for forty nine ninety five, and and it isn't so much about the amount, although that's important. It isn't so much; it doesn't really really matter to me if it's forty nine ninety five or four ninety five or four thousand nine hundred ninety five. That part doesn't matter as much as it does the heart behind it, because the heart behind it is we want to be a blessing, amen. Try that. Let me try that for this side. We want to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. And we know this, it's true, everybody can do more than somebody can. And so often we're waiting for somebody else to do that because it's too hard for us. But if everybody has the same heart and the same passion, a same desire, a same vision powerful things, tremendous things can happen. And, and so we've been trying to show you over the last couple of weeks, this is what it looked like as how it was lived out at Joy Christian Center. One of the goals was to get better. We always want to get better as a church. To be totally honest with you, we could stay. I mean, we could coast. We really could. I mean, you know, bills are paid. People are coming, lots of great things. We could just have our own little glory, hallelujah, holy huddle kind of a thing and woohoo. But I don't think you want to be a part of that church and I don't want to be the pastor of that church. Because we always want to grow. We always want to reach out. We always want to be a blessing. and We always want to get better as a church. Because if we're not getting better as a church, then we're not getting better for or to our community as well. And so getting better as a church is, is a quest. We believe in excellence. It is the gradual result of always trying to do better. We are always trying to improve what we're doing. There's no such thing as perfection. Perfect isn't a place that you arrive at. And once you're there, you're not perfect anymore. (laughs) And so we're always trying to, I hate the word evolve, but we're always trying to get better at what we're doing. And then we talked about, this is what it looks like. As as a church, we want to bless other churches because, because as I like to say here, and I've told other pastors this, I consider myself, I am the branch manager of a worldwide organization whose goal is global domination. And guess what? You're employees of, you're partners together with, we are a part of a worldwide organization, that's, and the goal is global domination. We are to take this message into all the world. And so I believe that every community, we believe the world starts right here. We believe that since day one. The world starts right here where we are planted. And that's why we want to get better as a church because we want to speak into and minister into our community. And then we also want to be a blessing to other churches because that's God's plan A. We want to bless. And this year, we, we showed you how we were able to bless a church and bless a pastor and his wife in ways that they, they were just blown away. And then we wanted to be a blessing to Benton County Sheriff's Office. And we showed you last week how we were able to do that. And it's an ongoing relationship, not just you know, love them and leave them kind of a thing, not just drop something off. Uh, this, this, this week... Um, on Thanksgiving, our Make a Difference team, it's a, a small group of people that that's just their heart. It's their passion. They, they, they like to just be a blessing. And so they're going to take some stuff. I actually make two trips out to the Benton County Sheriff's Department for those that have to be working on that particular day while you and I are, are either. How much butter are you putting in your turkey this year? A pound and a half of butter. Whew. You had me at butter. <laughs> A pound and a half, and it's, the, the funny thing is, is it's only a six-pound turkey, so <laughs> not quite. While you and I are in our turkey-induced coma watching the, the Vikings win another game, amen? And Gordy's in the ER with card- cardiac arrest. You know, the funny thing is, what time is it? 20 minutes, I got enough time to tell this story. Gordy used to be at a health club and uh, he would go and he would sit in the sauna and you know, of course you're in the sauna you sweat like crazy and they asked him to quit doing that because every time the sauna cooled down his spot where it was, it was just lard all around where <laughs> that actually didn't happen <clears throat> just in case. I have absolutely no idea. Oh, oh and so this team I was like where the heck was I? Anyway meanwhile back at the sermon uh, does anybody remember where I was? We're talking about Joy to the World for forty nine ninety five. We get to be a blessing, and everybody can do more than somebody. And typically, this would have been the Sunday that we would have done that. We've moved it we would have done it next week. We've got Teen Challenge coming on December 3rd. We're going to ask everybody that is here, and, if, and some of you have already given, some of you continue to give, which is way awesome. Uh, but but as God moves your heart and, and, and as you want to join together with us, we ask everybody to participate in some way. You can go online and give if you're not gonna be here. A lot of different ways that you can give, but the heart of it is we want to be a blessing. In December 3rd, we're going to do that offering because there's some dots that I wanna connect for you, and, and that's the reason I know that it's the holidays. I know all of that stuff, and that makes it a little bit more difficult, perhaps, but uh, this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray, believe God, trust God, and let's together make something awesome happen, because this is what it looks like when the circles and rows believe together, work together, when the circles and rows believe in something that is that is more important and more powerful than 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 what we could ever do by ourselves and so what started in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 the circles and rows and really and so here's the question I, I, I sort of want to take a swing at this morning I, I want to maybe at least for now tie a bow around and say we're done kind of with this topic is how did the circles and rows change the world how was it that circles and rows changed the world to such a degree that the church, that message, the, 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 the movement lasted beyond the first century into the 21st century that you and I have now been entrusted to it? And, and so we see something happen. Acts chapter 1 and 2, we've talked a lot about that. We set up the circles and the rows. We, we've talked a little bit about this is what it looked like, the church at Antioch, all of those different things. And, and then Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, it says this. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Would you say it with me, they did, they did not cease? Say it one more time, they didn't cease. Now, if we were just casually reading the Bible, we would have read past Acts 2, 3, 4. This is the end of Acts chapter 5, so the end of Acts 2 to the end of Acts 5. We would have just sort of read through it, and, and maybe there were a few things that, that, that might stick out. But I think this, there was, there was a miracle that happened in Acts chapter 3 that led to a confrontation in Acts chapter 4 that led to an ultimatum in Acts chapter 5. And I really think that Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5 were really the make or break moment for the church, It was a make or break moment for the followers of Christ, whether or not that message was going to survive. And and in Acts chapter three, many of you know the song, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He was asking for alms. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went he went walking and leaping and praising God. Apparently many of you have not been in children's ministry. <laughs> he went walking and leaping and praising God. And it was a, it was a tremendous miracle. And, and, and people were like, wow, this is really, really cool. And, and, and the disciples, the, uh, the apostles, they were like, you guys are really special people. You've been sent from God. And you're like, God's yourselves. And Peter was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't do this of our own. Why do you look at us as, as if our own holiness our position. Why do you look at us as though we're something special? And then they gave them the key. It was faith in the name of Jesus. And then Peter was good at throwing us in the one that you killed, the one that you crucified. It was faith in that name that made this man to walk. And, and so, man, there, 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 there's an excitement that's happening in Jerusalem and, and people, in fact, actually at one point in there, 5,000 people became followers of Christ. Now, that's one side of the story but there's an underbelly to the story as well because what what we may not have known is that rome was the one that was controlling jerusalem and israel at the time rome was the political might the the military might and 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 they allowed israel they allowed the nation of israel to continue with their uh, religious teaching and stuff because it helped to keep the peace They were in charge, but as long as the religious leaders could keep the peace in Jerusalem, they were okay with whatever they believed. And so the religious leaders of the day, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot because they're trying to control the people, they're trying to keep the peace because they know that Rome, if they don't keep the peace, Rome is gonna come in and they're gonna take over. And so anytime that there was chaos, anytime that there was a lot of hubbub going on and excitement, they wanted to know why, number one. But secondly, they began to find that this message of Jesus and faith in Jesus, that believing in Jesus can make you right with God, that began to threaten their teaching about the law because their teaching was that it's obedience to the law that makes you right with God. And so not only was there a political pressure, but there was a religious pressure. And so when this miracle happened and, and, and people are excited about it, they called the apostles in, they brought the lame man in, they, and they began to question them. And they began to say, how is this? And all the people are like, woohoo, this is God. He's doing some cool stuff. This is all God. And so the religious were like, man, we've got the people believing it is God. We've got a miracle that we can't deny here, but we've got Rome here. We've got our religious tradition here. We're in a pickle. We're between a rock and a hard place here. So this is what they said. They said, we don't want you teaching anymore in that name, Jesus. And can you also just knock off the whole thing that we killed him? Because we were just trying to, we we thought we were doing God a favor. If you could just cut that part out, and and we don't want you teaching anymore in the name of Jesus. And the apostle said, are we supposed to obey you, or do we obey God? There is no way that we can keep silent. We can't keep silent about all the things that Jesus has done. And so they threatened them. You better be careful, (laughs) Because they're ticked off and they're kind of angry. And they threatened him. And and so we pick up the story, Acts 4.21. It says this. Acts 4.21 says, So when they had further threatened them, Stop teaching in that name, Jesus. We're going to beat you up or something. They let them go. Finding no way of punishing them because of the people. The people believed it was God. Since they all glorified God for what had been done. So they threatened him. They thought that that was Enough. They thought that by threatening them and pulling rank on them, that was enough. But what did the disciples do? And being let go, what did they do? Verse 23 says, being let go, they went to their own companions. Being let go, they went to the circles and they formed a row. When they were let go, they formed a circle. They got into a circle, they formed a row. They knew that there was something in that circle, something in the rows. They knew there was something there, and I'll tell you right now: if you're here this morning and you're not a part of a circle, whether it's a small group of friendship, whatever it might be, if you're not a part of a circle, and we run into this a lot, people call the church in a difficult moment. What do we do? I did a funeral this week. There was no circles. It was all rows. And people didn't know what to do because they weren't a part of a circle. When they encountered difficult times, it was that circle that they sought out. But notice what they did. They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. That was all of the, you know, you guys quit teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus, verse 24. So when they heard that, They said, man, we're going to crack down on you guys. You keep preaching and uh, talking about Jesus. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And they said, in other words, they began to pray. Now, I know it's up there. Many of you know the story. But think about this for just a moment. If you were being persecuted and threatened politically, religiously for what you believed and who you believed in, and somebody said to you, if you continue talking about that person, you continue talking, if you do that, we're going to throw you in jail. That means you're not going to go to work anymore. That means your livelihood is cut off. That means that you will be a cast out to many, many people. We would probably pray, but how would we pray? We would pray like Americans pray. God, keep me safe. Help me find a parking place. Help me do good on my test. Keep my kids safe. Lord, bless me. Now, nothing wrong with safety and protection. We take a whole Sunday, we talk about, you know, Psalm 91. It is the psalm of protection, and we we believe in that. We believe that God wants us incredibly blessed. We believe that. But I think it's amazing what they prayed, and I think it helps to answer the question, how in the world did an underfunded, ill-equipped group of people continue a message when it seemed like it would be impossible? Notice what they prayed. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know what we'd be thinking? Let's see, if we were there, the leader, Jesus, has just been killed. Peter, James, John, you guys are pretty important. Maybe you should cool it just a little bit. Maybe you should tone it down a little bit. John, you, you got some great messages talking about love. People seem to like that whole love thing. Let's put Peter on the back burner because Peter's kind of a rebel, man. He's always talking. He loves to stick it in him and tell him that they killed Jesus. And let's just stop that for and this whole resurrection thing. Let's stop that for a while. Let's just kind of keep it nice. Verse 29 is what they prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness. Everybody say all boldness. When they could have prayed for blessing, safety, protection, they prayed for boldness. Lord, I don't want to stop. I don't want to turn it down. I don't want to back up. But Father God, give us boldness. Why? That they may speak your word. I wonder what would have happened to the first century church had they not prayed this. Had they maybe taken conventional wisdom and taken a step backwards and said, I don't think that right now is the time to press in. And God began to answer that prayer. That's what's amazing. God answered that prayer and gave them great fruitfulness. There's a miracle. Peter walking among the crowd. His shadow falling on people caused them to be made well. Don't you suppose that caused a stir? And people are talking about this and people are, are are infatuated with it. People are becoming followers of Christ and, and there's great generosity in the church. All kinds of cool and wonderful things are happening and, and there's chaos. And so now the religious leaders, they're between a rock and a hard place. And so they round up all of the apostles again and they bring them in and they further threaten us. We told you not to preach in that name anymore. And they ended up putting them into prison. Now, I think this is a little bit funny because... They've, they've taken the apostles, they put them in prison. We don't want you teaching anymore in that name since you can't shut up. We're gonna shut you up and put you in jail. And so then all the really smart people, the religious leaders, they get together and they begin to talk about what, are they, what should they do? What are, what are they gonna do? And so while they're over here in their holy huddle talking about what they're going to do about this religion that's, that's just overtaking Jerusalem, God's on the other side. And, and and so there's an angel that shows up, unlocks the door, and, and the apostles go out. And out, Now here's, you know, God doesn't make sense sometimes. Here these guys are in jail for preaching in the temple, talking about Jesus and all these different things. And so angel comes, unlocks the door, opens it up, and tells the disciples, I have a message for you. I want you to go back to the temple and talk more about Jesus. And they're like, wait, what? Wait, what? I mean, we... Uh, I know that you've been in heaven you've been around the throne but we just got arrested for talking about Jesus in the temple we're here because of that (laughs) and so on the other side now the religious leaders they're like get those guys well they go to get them and they're like gone they've escaped well go find them and this is what's so funny verse 25 of the fifth chapter says this so they're looking for the disciples and they find him. And so one came and told them saying, uh, yeah, so the guys that you put in prison, they're like, yeah, they're back at the temple talking about Jesus. (laughs) Found them. In fact, it's a lot easier than we thought. They're just right there where they were when you arrested them and put them in jail. Not sure how they got there, but they're there and they wouldn't be silent. They wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. So, the religious leaders, they're like, man, I don't know what to do. So, and, and here's what they thought. This was their plan. We thought by killing their leader, Jesus, that that would be enough to shut this up, but it hasn't. So we're gonna have to get more drastic. If we put the followers, these key leaders, to death, then maybe that will silence the group. And one guy by the name of Gamaliel, he was a, he was a, a well-respected religious leader, and he said, you know what, guys, guys, been listening and watching, and, and this is Pastor Brian's paraphrase of what he said, but been kind of hanging out here, listening and seeing and observing. You know, if this is a move of God, we're going to end up fighting against God. Maybe we should just, maybe we should just, let's back up because we don't want to be fighting against God. And, let's, and so they, and we pick up this in verse 41, or verse 40, it says, they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his, <laughs> for his name. And it's really easy. To, and then verse 42, it's where they went everywhere preaching. And it's easy to read past all of that without really recognizing everything that had gone on and brought them to that point where they counted it worthy to be <laughs> counted it worthy. They counted it worthy. And think about this. And I I don't know the number of apostles that were there, but let's just assume that they had gathered eight of the apostles that were there. Maybe it was 11, maybe it was two, I don't know. But let's just say that there were eight or nine of the apostles that were there. Think about what you and I would be like as 10 of our friends in front of us, we're standing there, And and most of us had no idea what the beating was like until we watched The Passion of the Christ. And once we saw what it was like for somebody to be beaten with a cat of nine tails 39 times, it was almost, it was a near-death threat, death sentence, And so imagine standing there as you're watching one of your friends, your fellow laborers, a brother that you love being beaten within an inch of their life. And you're hearing the whip and you're hearing the grunt and you're hearing the groan and you're seeing the flesh and the blood knowing that you're next. How long would that have taken for them to stand there and watch a beating knowing that they're in that same line? And every time after that day, Whenever they took off their shirt, whenever they bathed, they bore the marks of a criminal, a condemned person. And there were probably people that were like, look, they must have done something really, really bad. It was a scar that followed them for their lives. And this is where you and I have to repent. Because I I fear sometimes that if the church, the message of the first century had been entrusted to me or to you, then, then that message would have never made it out of the first century. Because we're not bold. Sometimes we're more ashamed. We're more afraid. And let's face it, Christianity's taken a beating over the last several years. And and, and, and as far as a lot of people are concerned, the church is a bunch of bigoted people, a bunch of phobes about whatever it might be. And somehow the message of love and power and grace has gotten lost. And it's lost to those that are perishing. Perishing. How did an underfunded, ill-equipped group of people cause a message to make it out of the first century? because they were unafraid. Because they were bold. They were bold. And they took that message everywhere. And it was a make or break moment in the life of the church. All of those things that happened. So this is what it looks like. And I want to encourage you in this. This is what it looks like. When you and I are unafraid... And I want to encourage you in a couple of things. Three boldness baby steps. The Bible tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And you're the righteousness of God in Christ. And you and I don't have to back up or back down from anything. We have a story to tell about a Savior that loves us, who's redeemed us and changed our life and given us a hope and a future. And so this is what it looks like when the circles and rows are unafraid. And so number one, I'm going to ask you to be bold in your prayers. There's nothing wrong about asking God to bless you, but that's something he said he would already do. I said, that's something he already said he would do. It's time for you to trust and believe that rather than quit bugging him about it. Amen? Praise God, he wants to bless you. He's already put it. In fact, go back to the first series we taught this year. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but we talked about the laws of God. Just work the laws of God. Be bold in your prayer. I I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Think about who is it? Who is that one person that you can influence towards Christ? And if every one of us would just win one this year, we could say this church, but the church in St. Cloud, the influence doubles. And if we would do that again, it doubles again. and, and, And it's just one, just one. Be bold in your prayers. And I think it's all right. You know, it's all right to ask God for all kinds of things, but be bold. Don't be, don't be afraid. I think God is honored by bold prayers. Number two, be bold in your witness. Be bold in your witness. There will be opportunities that will present themselves to you. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if you've missed that opportunity, if you've, you know, shied away from, from what you might think is a confrontation or you shied away and you're afraid of what people would think. I don't want that to be condemning. I want you to look afresh. Say, God, give me boldness so that when that opportunity arises, I'm not going to be afraid. And God, I trust you. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will be there. He will fill your mouth with words and you'll be amazed. You'll be talking about things like, man, I didn't even know I knew that. And the good news is, you know, there's, there's, I love this story. There are two, two drunks, not so much I don't like that part of the story, but, you know, drunk people, they, they always start talking about religion and politics. And so there are two drunks in the bar. One guy, they were talking about religion, and one guy goes, ah, you don't even know, you don't know anything about God. You don't know anything about Jesus. You don't know anything. I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. The other guy says, I'll bet you 10 bucks I do. He says, no, you don't know the Lord's Prayer. I'll bet you 10 bucks. All right, I'll take that bet up. Let me hear you pray Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Guy goes, here's your 10 bucks. Didn't think you knew it. (laughs) If you can't dazzle them with your brilliance, baffle them with your knowledge of God, (laughs) chances are you know more than they do. And you may not know the verse, you may not know the scripture, but you know the heart. You know that God sent his son to die for you. You know that he changed your life. You know that there's some good things about it. Tell that. They don't care if if it's found in, in Romans or John. They think that the apostles are the wives of the epistles. They don't, you know, epistles are wives of the apostles. Whatever it is, they don't know. Be bold in your witness. And lastly, Be bold to create opportunities even when there doesn't seem to be an opportunity. Somebody was bold with you. Somebody took a risk and invited you. Somebody said, hey, why don't you come with me to church? Really? Because for most people, church is that thing you do. It's that place you go. For us, it's a life we live. We are the church. We are the church. And when you're inviting somebody to church, you're inviting somebody to a circle and to a row. You're inviting somebody to a relationship with one another. You're inviting somebody for an opportunity. And man, we got great opportunities over the next month from from Thanksgiving, Teen Challenge, I should say, from Teen Challenge to Christmas Eve services, great opportunities for people to experience the circles and rows here. So be bold in your prayer, be bold in your witness, be bold to create opportunities. John 3.16 says that God loved this world so much he gave his only son not so we could stay the same, not so we could gather in our little holy huddles, but so that this world would know that there's a God and a Savior that loves them so much that Jesus laid down his life and shed his blood, but his followers shed blood also. Many of them laid down their lives so that you and I could have a copy of the word of God, that we could hear it, that we could believe it, and that we have been entrusted so that one generation will praise his works to the next generation. It is a divine call of God on the life of a church, a people, a circle, to assemble in rows and bring this message to the world, amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today. And God, first of all, we repent and ask you to forgive us for being in fear. We ask you to forgive us for seeking ourselves, for seeking what we want, while in effect saying to others, you can go to hell because my comfort is more important than your salvation. So God, forgive us where we've not dared, where we've not believed, where we've not stretched. Because Father, the preciousness of what you did for us, the example that you set for us is far too great for us to miss. So, Lord, this morning, we surrender. We say, God, live big in us. God, move through us. God, help us to be your hands and your feet, your voice, everywhere we go. Help us to be aware and in tune with the Holy Spirit so that when the opportunity arises, we're not going to be afraid. But you'll fill our mouth with wisdom. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, please, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never made him the Lord of your life and you would like to today, would you just hold up your hand real high? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer that starts that. Anyone at all, just hold your hand up real high. Say, Pastor, I, I, I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone at all? Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, Joy, you can look this way. <clears throat> you've got a great message and a great story. Don't be afraid. Tell it. Live it loud. Amen. We're so happy you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, we invite you to join us for one of our 9 or 10.45 a.m. services. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we'd love to hear about it. We invite you to email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.